Hello, I'm Kyle Caldwell, and this is On The Money, a weekly look how to get the best out of your savings and investments. Today's episode is focused on the biotech sector, which has been deeply out of favor over the past couple of years. Joining me to explain why, and to make the case for why better times are ahead for the sector is Rod Wong, founder and chief investment officer at RTW Investments, which is the investment manager of RTW Biotech Opportunities, which is an investment trust. So Rod, to kick off, could you explain to our listeners why the biosector has for a couple of years been out of favour and it's been experiencing its second worst bear market in its history. When exactly and why did that bear market start? Yeah, no, thanks for having me. So you're right, this is a historic bear market. I think there's two big buckets of reasons. Uh, the first is, along with everything else that started you know, at the beginning of 22, was with the rise in interest rates, just a move away from anything that's a long duration asset, right? So that's the first bucket. The second bucket though, has been unique to biotech, which was, I'd say probably the best way to characterize it is that there's been this wave of innovation, which I'm sure we'll talk about. It's meant a lot of new, exciting technologies, but as a result, there's a wave of companies that went public too early. And then subsequent to that, uh, we've seen a fair number of setbacks as you've seen growing pains in the industry. So that started a year before interest rates started going up, so in the beginning of 21. So it's been a bit of a double whammy for our sector. Now, of course, I think when it rains, it pours. So there's been additional things on top of this. So just as an example, quick tick through with COVID, you know, one of these new technologies that you developed drugs from was, has been mRNA, and obviously that gave us the COVID vaccine. But from a sector perspective, the revenues that you saw from the sales of COVID vaccines reversed so quickly as COVID moved into the past that it's been a big headwind for the sector. Also in the US, you've had a couple of things, well, one also related to COVID, which was that the FDA staff really struggled under the burden of trying to get those products to market. So you burned out a lot of people, you've had a lot of turnover. And then finally, also specific to the US, is there's been a historic policy change, which is the approval or the passage of the IRA, right? And in that, it was the first time really that Medicare, which is the government insurance for the elderly, was given basically price setting powers. And so that also happened during this period. And where are we today? Is biotech still in a bear market? Yeah, no, absolutely. In fact, we're now flirting with history. If the bear market goes on, I think past February, then it'll actually exceed in length the longest one we've ever had in the sector, which was the genomics bubble, which burst in 2000 and and lasted until 2003. So this is absolutely a historic bear market. You see it in a lot of measures, the number of IPOs, as an example, the number of companies trading at distressed valuations. So you know we're hopeful that uh, we're getting to the later innings and hopefully the sector can turn the corner. For investors sizing up the biotech sector today, valuations are much lower than usual. Could you explain how cheap the market is And is it those cheap valuations that are the main potential catalysts that could propel the sector to have a change in fortunes for the better in performance terms? Yeah, absolutely. I think you make a great point in your question, which is cheap valuations is 
always one of your greatest catalysts. So, you know, to put that in context, valuations where they sit now, our favorite measure is price to sales. And on that basis, we are only about 15 to 20% above the absolute lows that we saw post the great financial crisis. You know, these were levels that we saw in our space in 2009 and 2010. I mentioned another measure for the smallest companies. We have a historically high number of companies trading at less than cash. So slightly less than a third of all companies, publicly listed companies are in our space are trading at less than cash. We've never seen that kind of number before. So I think in terms of other things that could turn biotech around, if you go from big picture macro to more micro, I think the most important is the interest rate variable, right? Um, here, I think if interest rates were to actually turn, biotech would probably benefit more than in previous cycles. I think it's a bit of a coiled spring. And the reason is because in this case, one, if interest rates move the other direction, you'd have that reversal um, that's been a bias against long duration assets, but also because it would almost certainly because we're moving into a recession. Right. In that case, the attractiveness of less elastic revenues of our sector would also be an additional strong benefit. So I think that's the biggest thing. Then if you move down into policy, you know, I mentioned the IRA being a significant headwind for the space. The IRA is facing significant challenges. The industry is basically opposing it in the courts. They're using quite a long list of different arguments, and we will see those cases wind their way through the court system over the next year and change. So anything that modifies the IRA in a favorable way, I think would be viewed as positive for the industry. And then finally, on the most micro front, you know, I mentioned that we have all these exciting new modalities. Some of them were a bit early and you saw these setbacks. But almost all of these modalities, you are seeing them get past these setbacks, have development, regulatory success, and ultimately commercial success. So I think the more you have of that, right, starting from this historically low level of valuation, then medium term fundamentals will drive a recovery in the space. As well as those valuations being cheaper than usual, your view is that in the coming years, we're entering a golden age of biotech innovation. Could you explain why? And will that golden age of innovation translate into attractive returns for investors? I do think, so moving on to the, the exciting part, uh, which is this boom in innovation. I really do believe we're entering the greatest period of inner innovation in our sector that we've ever seen. So the way I think about it is that this was unleashed by basically two things. One is now you have cheap information available, most importantly, the uh, genome. And then the second is that you've had a significant increase in the number of mo modalities that you have available to develop drugs from. So if you think about the toolkit that we have for drugs, for many, many years, we've only had three, small molecules, antibodies, and proteins. And only in the last decade or so, you have seen that number increase significantly. It's more than tripled. So some of the technologies everyone is familiar with, like mRNA with the COVID vaccine, others also very familiar like gene therapy, like cell therapy, but there's some that maybe haven't reached kind of the public consciousness as much as the ones that I just listed. They include protein degraders, antibody drug conjugates, 
gene editing, et cetera. So the list is now quite long. And if you think about it, historically, we've averaged about 40 to 50 new drug approvals per year. These are novel drugs. Now, if each of these modalities produces, call it a handful of new drugs per year, it's really not any kind of leap of faith to expect that a few years from now, that the number of new drugs that will be available to people could go up very significantly, 50 to 100%. Now, of course, with biotech, there are risks. Research and development is risky and unpredictable. New drug projects can and do fail. So how do you go about picking the potential winners? And at the same time, with the investment trust that you manage, how do you manage risk? Yeah, so... First on research process, you know, I started out managing money uh, during an era that I call the rise of the specialist portfolio manager era, right? So I graduated medical school um, and business school and started working in 2003. The decade before that, I would say the vast majority of capital managed in our space was managed by people with no scientific background whatsoever, right? By generalist portfolio managers. And I was fortunate in that my career was during a period, during that transition to specialist portfolio managers. Now, as innovation is booming, what our firm has tried to do is to evolve with it because it's a rapidly changing industry. So for example, today, you know, we have over 75 team members, close to half of those have terminal scientific degrees, but that's actually not the important part. The important part now is that we believe that the right team to be able to analyze, you know, pick the winners from the losers is a subspecialized team that can work together collaboratively. So that's the bet that we have placed. Now that's from a research perspective, right? How do you predict the winners with higher odds than the market? The next important piece is what you mentioned is risk management. I think in our space, the most important key to risk management is position sizing. We live in a binary sector. Uh, you have to be prepared to take loss. And so you have to build a portfolio where you can sustain those losses. And I think the key thing is finding things that have asymmetric risk reward. And then, as I mentioned, sizing them appropriately. And given that biotech, it's a specialist area. Would you agree that investors need to be patient and invest for the long term? And in addition, would you agree that it's prudent that you know investors view biotech as a specialist sector, so therefore it forms part of a satellite bucket as opposed to being a core holding for a portfolio? Yeah. So I think from the perspective of duration, the way I like to think about it is at any given time, our portfolio will have a little less than two dozen meaningful positions. Now, if someone has a duration of two to three years, that's probably a sufficient amount of time to let kind of the odds play out, right? And to see the benefits of the strategy. Now, what I'd add on top of that though, is that we are a space, as we started this conversation talking about, that has a fair amount of top-down volatility associated to cycles in the market. So I think a reasonable duration for an investor to be able to capture at least more than one part of the cycle, so ideally not just the down part of the cycle like we've been living through, I think a five-year horizon is reasonable, right? As to the second question of whether it should be core or specialist, 
you know, the way I kind of think, think about it is that just like we size our positions, I think the most important thing is that any investor allocator size positions in the sector so that the probability that they would make a poor decision, right, like selling at the wrong time is as low as possible. So whatever that size is, I think is the right size. You mentioned that investors should be looking to invest for at least five years. Before our interview, I had to look at how the investment trust have performed over the past three years, which has been a tricky backdrop for you to navigate as a fund manager. Now, over that three-year period, the net asset value return, so that's the performance of the underlying investments, it's positive, it's up around 8.9%, but the share price total return, it's down around 30%. Is the big difference between the two purely down to investor sentiment being at low levels, which over that three-year period, it's caused the discount of the investment trust to widen significantly? Yeah, that's exactly right, actually. And, you know, you know, our team is actually very proud of the return that you mentioned in the NAV, that it's gone up. And actually, during a period where our number one benchmark, the Russell 2000 Biotech Index, which also you know, has a lot of the small public companies that we're talking about, is down nearly 50% during that same period of time. Now, the share price that you mentioned is that movement from trading at a premium when people were more optimistic about our space to now trading at a discount more in line with our listed fund peers. Obviously, we're not happy with that and we're doing everything we can to improve that. But overall, I think the strategy shows that when you have specialist investors, you can generate significant outperformance relative to the space. And with the current discount on the investment trust at around 30%, have share buybacks been taking place in an attempt to reduce that discount? So this is exactly the kind of environment where you want to be deploying capital because we're seeing so many opportunities that are trading at extremely low valuations. So for example, we recently just announced uh, that we're acquiring the assets of Eric's Biosciences, which is another publicly listed UK fund. So what this deal allows us to do is actually to increase our capital. We'll also get the benefits of reducing our expenses because of the combination of the two pools of capital. And this will really give us then the opportunity to take maximum advantage of the innovation that we're seeing at a historically difficult time in the market. My thanks to Rod and thank you for listening to this episode of On The Money. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a rating or review and follow the show in your podcast app. And if you get a chance, tell a friend about it too. You can join the conversation Ask questions and tell us what you would like to talk about via email on otm at ii.co.uk. In the meantime, you can find more information and practical pointers on how to get the most out of your investments on the Interactive Investor website at ii.co.uk. See you next week.